appreciate it, man. All right. Good job. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. Hey, well, let's dive in this morning. Uh, and so th- for those of you who don't know, we're in a study called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a book by Peter Scazzaro. And without diving into all of it, just to know this, that we've been in this journey of saying God has these. God looks at us and he loves us. He's a good father. He recognizes even these things that we talked about up here. Of like, hey, we have these needs as a good father. He longs to meet us. He's not beating us over the head. He's not telling us that we're terrible all the time. He's not condemning us. But he's a loving God who puts puts his finger on broken places and says, I can't leave you in your brokenness. So I'm going to put my finger on areas, right? Because I love you too much. But in that context, I want to transform you to become the person that I dream about you being. Have you ever thought about that, that God has dreams about you? And who he has you to be like he like I got I told you the story before I had this guy in Les Beach and he, he literally did a song and dance in front of me. It was hilarious singing a song to me about something God had spoken to him. And it's something like this. He says, Steve, I see you now and I see you in the future. You look much bigger there than you look right now. And he literally did this dance in a jig and spun around and sang it over. I, like, this is crazy. But man, he was like, I see you now and I see you in the future. You look much bigger. Look, look right now. And I'm like. Oh, that's so weird <laughs> from Jesus, you know. And so the idea is that God has these dreams, and these imaginations and these ideas of, of who he sees you being. And so the idea then transformation is not, oh, you're you're terrible and you should be this. It's like I have these oh, dreams and imaginations about who I want you to be. And I want to move you into that that real life that I have for you. It doesn't matter if you are if you're 15 or 70. It doesn't really matter. I sat with a group this week of like the what was what do you what do they call themselves? What do you call who? The advanced, I don't know, the old guys. I forget, I don't see anybody in here because they're all probably sleeping because they're so old. No, it's like, no, they were seriously, there's this group of like eight old guys. And we sat down and man, I was, we were speaking about just these dreams that God has for them. It's like, oh, it's so good just to see what God is doing and stuff. And so all that to say, this study is all about that, that, that God wants to put his finger on these areas of transformation and to grow us because he sees who we can become. And he loves us where we are. But he wants to continue to grow us to move us forward. But I'm going to say this real quick. The last three weeks have been really difficult. Like three weeks ago, we said, you got to look back. You got to go back before you go forward, recognizing you have a family of origin and you have things from your past that you have to, to look at and be aware of that shaped who you are today, that maybe it's not how God wanted to shape you. You got to deal with that. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at the idea of journey through the wall, the wall of those these things in your life that you come up against that overwhelm you. Right. They're these cataclysmic events in your life that shape you. And it's like to go through them feels like hell. St. John the Cross is called the dark night of the soul going through these really difficult seasons to get to the other side. But we have to do that. But how many of us don't do that because it's too hard? We don't have time. Last week, talked about this, the loss and grief and suffering and how that shapes us. I mean, three difficult weeks. And let me just say this to you. The nature of our study, I've already said it, we're going to say it again. The nature of the study isn't, hey, I've gone through the book and now I've got my t-shirt and now I can move forward. The idea of this book is that we're giving you a, a, a like, like handlebars to add to your life to help you 
remain emotionally healthy because you're going to continue to deal with things from your family of origin. You're going to continue to deal with walls in your life. And you're going to continue to deal with loss and grief and suffering. And what we're trying to do is to help you have a grid of how to deal with that for the next 5, 10, 15, 25, 30, 40 years. And so all this book is is giving you a grid to help you process and to deal with things in your life. So don't so, so, we've, so don't think, hey, I journeyed to the wall for an entire week and now I'm good. It doesn't work that way. That you have these issues and things and we're saying now you have these tools to help you be aware of what God is putting his finger on. Possible issues that you may be dealing with. And then this morning, we're going to begin to to dive into some practical lifelines to help you remain emotionally healthy in your spiritual life. We're going to start with Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13, which simply says this. And I I mentioned this morning in, in worship. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Now, if you put this verse in context, just leave it up here for a minute, Rob. As you think about this verse right here, you've got to recognize Zechariah was a prophet. He's the one who spoke on behalf of God. And you have to understand the context. All of Israel, because of their sin, is in captivity. And God begins to speak to the prophet saying, I've seen you in exile. I've seen you in a foreign land, and I hear your cry, and I have been aroused, and I will now rise up, and I will fight for you, and I will bring you back to your home. And what I want you to recognize in this is God says, and the way to make that happen is to be still before me, because I am now standing to fight. And I want you to see this as a beautiful picture here of God showing us as humanity and as followers of Jesus, what does it look like, God, in the context of our life to to fight for these things that you're fighting for? And he would say, the primary thing is to be still and to do nothing because I have heard, I will now stand and rise and I will fight and defend you. And this is countercultural. It's countercultural. Doesn't make sense to us because you, when you think about moving forward and growing, what do you think about? You think about doing something. Okay, what do we need to do to make this happen? And what God says, hey, I got you. Be still. Sit down. Because there's nothing better than sitting back and watching someone who is much bigger, much larger, and much smarter fight for you. Like I would always, like that's because you did as a kid. My dad can beat up your dad, right? What do you mean when you said that? My dad is bigger than your dad and bigger than you. And when he shows up, you're in trouble, right? Because you're going to sit back and watch your dad fight. And so the idea is this, be still. The Lord has roused himself up, ready to defend and to fight for us. And so in the context of this study, the idea is stop trying so hard. Be still. The Lord has been aroused. And we have to then take this message and dive into what that means for us. And it's simply this. We can't fix ourselves. We need Jesus to rise up and help save us. So in this chapter, as you read, and I would say this, please, 
I told our small group this past week, please, if there's any chapter that you read, it's definitely this one. As we went through with the staff, this chapter was the one, honestly, that probably was the most profound and impacted us the most. We got done with this chapter, and our Wednesday staff time went, oh, this, this is right. This is the thing to us as a staff. We're like, oh my gosh, all of it was good, right? But this one like stuck out to us as being profound in the context of our own staff life, but also in the context of vintage. In the very beginning of this chapter, the writer tells the story of the power of blizzards in the Midwest. And he said that in in the Midwest, in in these blizzards, they'd be so powerful and so frantic and so frenzied that if a person was just leaving their back porch and their back door to to go to their barn, that they did not hold on to a rope that would stretch from the door to the barn. They would get lost in their own backyard and they would die because they would get lost in the nature of the the frenziedness of the blizzard. And he said they teach people, take a rope, attach it to the back door, to the barn, so you can hold on to it and not get lost in the blizzard. Basically, honestly, it's the kind of the, the proverbial lifeline. It's the lifeline that literally kept them from getting lost in the blizzard. And so in the, in the busy franticness of our lives, it feels like a blizzard in the context of our culture, doesn't it? I mean, we live in this busyness and we've lost, hear this, we've lost a healthy rhythm to life. You understand rhythms? You sit here like this and you can feel your heartbeat and you hope there's no skipping, right? You hope that there's no dysrhythmia in this. You hope that there is a nice, healthy, ongoing rhythm because that is what is most healthy for you. In the context of our life, I wonder, do you feel like you live life with a healthy rhythm to life? And the reality is so many of us, we live in this franticness, right? We push too hard, too fast, too long, and find ourselves struggling, overloaded, rushed, fragmented, and burned out in life. No one sets out to live this chaotic life. Somehow, we just find ourselves in it. We are out of rhythm. We are lost in our culture, unable to slow down long enough. To find rhythm and to find Jesus. And this being out of rhythm ultimately is our emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We need a life rope to lead us to Jesus, to lead us to salvation, to lead us home. E. Stanley Jones, the great missionary to, to India over a century ago, said this and it's on the screen. He says, When I am against the Christian way, I know exactly what happens. I am out of gear. Something has slipped the cog. I feel orphaned, estranged, not at home with myself or people or God. My life sags and loses its music. Everything within me says this is the unnatural way to live. Like this is the context of our life. If you've never heard of East Stanley Jones, it's important to know this. Ever heard of a guy named Gandhi? Gandhi and East Stanley Jones were best friends, and Gandhi died on a train on his way to see East Stanley Jones. Like they were best friends. They influenced one another. East Stanley Jones had a great impact in India, but he understood this nature of the franticness of life, this busyness, this feeling out, feeling just out of, out of sorts. 
He says, the, he says, when I live against the Christian way, this life of rhythm, he feels orphaned, having slipped a cog. Do you feel this? Does this make sense to us, right? Do you feel the frantic busyness of our culture and you feel out of rhythm? Do you feel lost in the blizzard in need of a life rope to lead you to safety? This is what we all wrestle with. We must, at least in the understanding here in church, in the context of our Christian faith, we believe we must reconnect with God and live by spiritual rhythms that he designed for us. When we do, we'll experience real health, wholeness, peace in our bodies, minds, and our spirits and emotions. Yet finding him requires these ropes in the blizzard. We need, we need constants in our life that allow God to arise and to fight for and to defend us, his children. Our life rope to keep us from getting lost. These life ropes are called spiritual practices. Spiritual practices, activities, things that we do regularly which deepen our intimacy with God. They keep us connected with God. The idea is this. We have practices that help us maintain and grow our relationship with Jesus. Listen, and it's no different than the practices that you have to help you communicate with your spouse. Thank you for using the word communication. It's so profound. We have practices. You may not know your practices with your spouse or your friends, but you have them with your children, right? What do you do? Like I say to Randall, please put your phone down, close your computer, and look me in the eyes. It's practices. It's things that we do, right? We come in and we sit on the bed and we and we'll kind of have our pillow talk and we'll and, and you know and, 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 and not in a, you know I'm getting a pillow talk. We'll sit there and look at one another and have a conversation, right? We'll talk. On Mondays, so often, well, actually, you'll find us at Art's Bagel, literally sitting down, having, I'll have a sausage, egg, and cheese, and a cheddar roll at Art's Bagel, right? And we just talk life, we talk future, we talk everything going on. We have our practices with my kids, literally at night, we have a practice, of, we, we, we go upstairs, and, I'll, and Randall will be in one room, I'll be in the other, and we'll each take our turn, and then we'll flip-flop. We have practices to maintain a relationship with our children, And so we have spiritual practices that ultimately enable us to communicate with a living God who is passionate about us and moving in our lives and putting it, putting finger on transformation growth areas to move us into who he wants us to be. And we, and we relate to him. We have spiritual practices and the whole idea of this chapter is to focus around two primary practices that are not foreign to many of us. You've heard of them. The two practices that this chapter talks about to lead us into this healthy rhythm of life. Two things, the daily office and Sabbath, the daily office and Sabbath. And let me just tell you the argument of this chapter and whether you believe it or not, whether you agree with it or not. The argument of this chapter is that these two practices more than any other practices in our spiritual lives are the primary life ropes God uses, listen, to slow us down in the midst of our culture and create a rhythm that produces peace and joy inside of us. And I would agree. These two 
helped shape our culture more than culture shaping us. The first one we're going to focus on is the daily office. This is the, using the word office here sounds foreign to us, right? It might sound strange, but it simply comes from the Latin word that means work. So the daily office means our daily work. And some of you checked out when I said work because you're like, I work every day of my life, right? We're already cheating here. The daily office equals daily work. Our primarily daily work is to listen, is to slow down and to be with Jesus. Your primary work is not to provide for your family. Your primary work is not to parent your children. Like, those are cultural lies. You make idols of your children and you make idols of your job. You make them more important than Jesus. I don't have time. I've got small children, Steve. I guarantee you, if you work hard enough, you can find time. The lie of our culture says that your spouse and your children are priorities. And I would say they are secondary. They are priorities compared to everything else on the earth, but they are secondary to Jesus. They are secondary to your primary relationship with him. And the daily office says your daily work, the primary thing that you give the best of your energies to is to slow down and to be with Jesus several times during the day. You've already seen this. We've already looked at this whole message before, but I'm saying it again, right? We talked about the lives of Daniel, who stopped six times a day to be with the Father. Talked about Peter, who stopped six times a day. Paul and Jesus. Ever heard of that guy, right? Jesus, faithful Jews, who literally the primary work of their day would slow down to be with Father. And it wasn't to go pray a prayer list. It wasn't to go to sit there and feel guilty about all the sins we've committed for the last 30 years of our life. No, it's to sit there and let Jesus tell us how much he loves us and how excited he is to be our dad. I literally this morning at 745 was missing my daughter because she's AK because she spent the night at a friend's house. You know what I did? I didn't tell her. I didn't send her a text telling her to be a good girl. I didn't send her a text so she needed to obey everybody. I didn't send her a text saying not to sin today. I sent her a text and told her I loved her and I missed her and I just wanted to be with her today. That's what, that's what good dads do. They want you to slow down the day and just be with him. My dad turned 70 in May. Do you know what he wants more than anything in the world? To hang out with me. That's all he wants. He wants to be with me. I'm a blessed son. I really am. He just wants to be with me. The daily office, the daily work, just be with me. Just come and be with me. Be with Jesus, not to get something from him, just to be with him. Don't go with your long list of prayers. He already knows them. You can do this. Jesus, here's the list. Let's just be together. Seriously, the daily office. It's a time in which we intentionally slow down to be with Jesus. It is a priority in the idea in Jesus' day is that it, the daily office, the setting side of time, it was the, was the primary work of the day. It trumped everything. My deadlines submit to the daily office. My boss submits to the daily office. My children submit to the daily office. I say, here's Barney for 15 minutes. I've got to go be with Jesus. 
It's a priority. Therefore, slowing down to be with Jesus during our day helps create a healthier rhythm of life. In doing so, we shape the culture of our day and the culture of our life. Hear this. The culture of busyness and productivity does not shape us. There are lies from our culture. The greatest productivity, as Jesus told Martha, is to simply sit at his feet and enjoy him. Four primary things. These are all in your book. If you have the book, you can go read it for yourself. I'm going to name it for those who don't own it. First primary piece right here. Go ahead and put it up here, Rob, is stopping. Stopping. It means finding 5, 10, 15 minutes to stop. Do you know why you don't stop? Because you have control issues. You think the world can't make it without you. You think your business can't make it without you. You say, well, I've got to get this done, right? Your deadlines are more important. You think about and you have control issues. You have trusting that, like, what does it mean to have faith? It means to live counterintuitively and to say, God, I trust that you'll help get this deadline accomplished when I'm not giving time to 15 minutes to be with you. Like, that's faith. To live counterintuitive, to think that God actually knows about your deadline, knows about your business deal, knows about your conversation, and actually cares about your kids more than you do. Stopping, literally stopping. Number two, centering. If I look at Zechariah 2, here are all these three scriptures right here. Go to the next, next slide. Number one, Zechariah 2:13. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling to defend and to fight, fight for you. Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him, right? Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. This is a life rope. Daily office, work, rest, work, rest, work, rest, work, rest, all day long is this idea of centering, right? I'm stopping and I'm centering. I'm focusing on Jesus, high and exalted. I'm seeing him. And as I see him, what happens is I see him rising to defend. The third thing is this, silence, silence. We live in a world and culture of busyness and loudness, which acts as a distraction. When's the last time you had a deep, intimate conversation with somebody while you were also trying to hold a conversation over here in the midst of a lot of people and loudness? Do you have really deep, profound conversations when the TV's blaring the news? No, you have to pull away. You have to be silent. There's a level of silence. Listen, silence. Silence is the greatest struggle for us. Because we don't do well in silence. But if we're going to do well in our relationship of slowing down to be with Jesus, we have to get really good at being silent and allowing all the distractions to fade. It's like internal loudness and then external loudness, right? We have to learn to be silent. Why? Because it's in silence that God speaks. Do you remember... Was it First uh, Kings 19 when, when um, Elijah runs into a cave from Jezebel after he's just watched God like do a miracle? And he goes in there and it says, it says all of a sudden it says, it says a wind blew through, through the valley, right? But God was not in the wind. And then God came and shook the mountain, but God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire that came, but God was not in the fire. And then all of a sudden it says Elijah put his... His uh, hood over his head walked out to the gentle, still whisper of God. See, it's in silence. Be still. 
The fourth thing is this. It's scripture. We have used the companion book in the study, the 40-day daily devotional, the daily office piece. And each day it has the scripture it pulls out, right? And the idea is that we want to focus on scripture. It's the, we believe it's the word of God. And then when we read it, literally it's God speaking into our moment life. I read Psalms every day. I read a Psalm every day. Psalm is such a profound, practical piece to dive into. Why? Because usually the author is sharing his own time that he's been spending with Jesus of lament and of struggle or of worship and of praise and of thanksgiving before God. You can use any part of Scripture, but it has to be part of our daily office. The daily office is not to be work as we think of it, but instead it's to be a place of rest as we slow down in our frantic busyness to focus on Jesus and be awakened to his love and be awakened to his lordship. Be honest with you. Most people don't live as if Jesus is Lord. Because to live as Jesus is Lord means that he is over and in charge and in control of all things, and we trust him with it. The second life rope is Sabbath. Sabbath. Sabbath is taken from Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, where God has been about six days of creation, working his little hiney off, right? He works his tail off, and the seventh day says, I rest. He rested. And do you know he didn't rest because he was tired? He rested to model for us his expectation and his gift to humanity that they would feel confident in taking a day to rest from all of their commitments and all of their work. The word literally means to cease. It means to stop working. And we are told, you can read here, Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, the Sabbath had the most verbiage behind it. It says, remember this. Listen, do you, how many of you know that all the Ten Commandments still stand today? All of them, right? Does this hit number, what about this like number five? Remember four or five. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it. Excuse me, on it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner uh, residing in your towns. For in the sixth, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is press pause. So Steve, are you literally saying, or just figuratively, Are you literally saying, as Peter in the book literally saying, that this is supposed to actually be an action that we partake in and literally find a 24-hour stretch of time that we literally cease from all that we're doing? Yes. Moving on. All right. So on the Sabbath, this day of rest, we imitate God. We imitate God by stopping our work and resting. It provides for us now an additional rhythm for an entire reorientation of our lives around the living God. The Sabbath is to be a deliberate act of not doing. We celebrate doing absolutely nothing so we can experience God's grace. We can experience his blessing. We can experience his renewal. And another way of saying it, for those of us who just love to think selfishly, it's a day to stop and to let God take care of us. That's what it's about. 
resting with Father and just being with Him and enjoying His presence. It's interesting to think about Israel. While they were in Egypt, they never experienced a Sabbath. They never rested. They were slaves. As we are slaves to our culture, right? They were slaves to to Egypt. But when God called Israel out of Egypt, he affirmed, you are sacred beings and you were made in my image. He then showed them how to live according to their God-given nature, according to his culture. In effect, God said, it may feel awkward at first because you've been working nonstop. But as a fish is created to live in water, I created you to live according to this rhythm and design of work and rest, of work and rest. God worked. We are to work. God rested completely from doing. We are to rest completely from doing. Sabbath, more than anything else, attacks our frantic culture. By the very act, listen, hear this. I, this is a great phrase. I stole it from somewhere, so I don't have to give credit to it. I don't know who wrote it down, but I thought it was great. By the very act of refusing to succumb to the enormous pressure of Western culture around us, We, too, serve as a sign to people that we are a free people. We model freedom for a culture in busyness by the way of slowing down. We have been called out of a world trying to prove its worth and value by what it does or or possesses. We are deeply loved by God for who we are, not what we do. Do you see that? I'm going to say that last. We have been called out of a world trying to prove its worth and value by what it does or possesses. We are deeply loved by God for who we are, not for what we do. The idea, real simple, just to put it in terms, the world looks at us and will think, you're crazy, but I'm so drawn to this lifestyle. There's something that seems so familiar and and long, and I I look at it longingly, even though it goes against everything I've ever been taught in in my classes and by my parents. We go, because you as a human being were designed to live this way. If you know Jesus, you could step into it. Sabbath attacks our frantic culture. Sabbath teaches us that doing nothing is the greatest something that we can do as we learn to rest in God. One theologian said to fail to see the value of simply being with God and doing nothing is to miss the very heart of Christianity. It's a life rope. So let's just press pause again. Adding these to your life, it seems crazy. That's crazy talk. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you love this idea in theory, don't you? But then you go, oh, but gosh, how can I do that? And you start thinking about all the things that you're doing in life and the, and the things that have literally defined your motivations in life. And you start thinking about all this stuff, and then you get lost in it again. And you're like, this could never happen. And that's when I go to Zechariah 2 saying, Be still, for the Lord has been aroused, and he is moving in this. Four principles to adapt, adopt with Sabbath again, all in your book. And I'm going to go through them very quickly. Number one, stop. Stop. Pick 24 hours. You pick a moment, and you stop. What does it mean to stop, Steve? You stop. You don't do anything. You stop. And then the second thing you move into is you rest. This is a time. Listen, this is, you're going to love this one. This is the gift to y'all. Ready? 
We rest. How do we rest, Steve? I literally lay in bed all day long in my pajamas. You can do that. But this is a time of doing whatever delights and replenishes you that's not work. Like in that day, you only do things that delight you and replenish you and cause you to come alive. When's the last time you did something when you did it? You got done in the day. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm like a new human being. Do that. Do that, right? Here's some questions. What tires you? What mentally exhausts you? Name it and find a day that allows you to rest from it. Delight, right? The third thing is delight. I love this one, delight. So we stop, we rest, and then we delight. You all loved Robin Williams. And what was the movie in the school? Dead Poets Society. Suck the marrow out of life. Delight. When I slow down and rest, it gives me space to truly enjoy and delight in relationships. Like, do you get into, do you go to lunch with people looking at your watch because you have to leave and you really can't delight in your time with them? I mean, you get into a Sabbath day and you meet for three hours and you don't have anywhere to be or anything to do. And you've totally delighted in the relationship. Like, I don't know, about a month ago, Randall and I, we, the kids went to school on a Monday because Mondays are, we're fighting for Monday Sabbath, right? She gets up, we set the kids off, and then we laid back down. It was awesome. And slept for like an hour and a half. And then we got up, and she's like, oh, I'll get later all day. I was like, no, no, but let's go to breakfast. So we got up, and we got, and this, we're going to do breakfast. We got in breakfast, and I said, now, let's just, let's go up to Lake Alatoona, and let's go, let's just walk for three and a half miles. Go just enjoy, like, this was enjoyable, right? This was not work. When we walked, and we talked, and we walked, and we talked, and we're silent, and talked, and we're silent, and walked, and then we got done, and we hopped in our car. And we drove home and waited for our kids and didn't do anything, right? We spent some time with Jesus that morning. It was a great, it was a great day, right? And we just, and we, we delighted. We just delighted in being together in the moment, doing life. See, the great danger is this. I'll never forget the one day I'm going to a staff meeting at church, right? For Jesus. I'm doing this for Jesus, right? And I've been working like 70 hours this week. And I, and I literally, it's like 6 o'clock at night. And I got a meeting at 6, 7 o'clock. I got to go prepare for it. And I literally walk out the door. And as I get to go to my car, I catch something out of the corner of my eye. And I look to see orange and blues and reds and pinks. And a beautiful sunset that stretched from horizon basically to my house. And I went, ah. And I thought to myself, I'm so out of rhythm. Because I walked out and saw it and didn't even notice it. And I've been created to delight in the things that God has given us. And so I just held my bag and I just stared for five minutes. Until all of a sudden I felt the beauty of God, right? Kind of a life rope to center me again. We stop, we rest, we delight. And the fourth part is most important. We have to contemplate. We must ponder the love of God. Pondering love of God remains the central focus of our Sabbath. We stop, we rest, and we delight so we can remain God-centered in every area of life. You've been designed to Be still and to see God. That's how you've been designed. And in seeing God, I wonder, are you able at all to delight in his beauty? 
because we've been created to delight in the beauty and majesty and the glory and the wonder and the awesomeness of God. So two steps to jumpstart this new rhythm, or these new rhythms. Number one, you've got to settle your schedule. Settle your schedule. What's your daily office going to look like? What's your daily work of being slowing down and being with God going to look like? Like it was three, it was this, in the olden days, it was three, six, nine, twelve, three, six, nine, and twelve, right? All the way around, right? And then you slept. Every three hours, they would stop and slow down. In our daily office that we're doing in this study, it's just twice a day we're asking you to slow down, to stop, and to be with God. And so what does it look like for you? Like, you're going to set it on your schedule. You have to fight for it. Why? Because everything in culture is trying to beat down your rhythm with God. You're going to fight for it. You're going to give yourself grace. Why? Because you're going to mess up and fail miserably along the way. And God's going to say, it's okay. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on doing this, right? Fight for a daily schedule. Fight for your office. Second, settle the Sabbath. Settle the Sabbath for you. First, settle in your heart that you actually believe that God created a rhythm for humanity that didn't ever cease and that he actually thought and, and decided that the best thing for our spiritual well-being is to stop for 24 hours and do nothing. Like, I just wonder, do you believe that? That's the first thing you have to settle. And then the second thing you have to settle is what day it's going to be and what time period. I encourage you to read the book. It talks all about this stuff. There's lots of resources you can, you can read and dive into these more. These are life ropes, guys. If you're out of rhythm. I'm out of rhythm. Our heart beats out of rhythm. Is it a scary thing when your heartbeat gets out of rhythm? Absolutely. Is it a scary, overwhelming thing that causes franticness and business and being overwhelmed? We're in the blizzard of our culture and we're out of rhythm. Absolutely. Does it make you, does it bring peace to you in a blizzard if you can find a life rope to hold on to to produce life in you? Absolutely. And we're getting at that these two help shape you in your culture Rather than culture shaping you, I'm going to slow down, trust God. I'm going to have faith in him that he'll take care of my to-do list and my items and all the things and even my, my job, my deadlines, and my children. doesn't mean you can never hang out with your kids, by the way, right? If they're still, you, you understand what I'm getting at. You're not going hyper extreme on me and awkward, are you? You're saying I should never love my children? No. Listen to me. It's a priority. It just is trumped by you slowing down to be with Jesus every day. Stop making idols of your children and your time and your schedule and make Jesus your priority. Let's pray. Father, as we enter back into a time of, just, of contemplation, of focus and in worship, Lord, we just simply pray, Jesus, that you would reveal to us the reality of a lifeline in Christ. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak into the moment. <clears throat> and I pray, Father, that you would settle in our hearts, God, what is true about slowing down to be with you. And I just pray this real simply, Jesus, that when we slow down to be with you, God, that you would help us to find you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in response today, a couple of things. If you're new at Vintage, we have our offering baskets here. It's just an act of worship you give as the Lord leads. Communion available here. 
It's a highlight of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we could know him. Ministry teams will be available on both sides. What are ministry teams? People like you who have needs and want to help pray for your needs. And they just want to love on you. So ministry teams, you can go ahead and come forward. This is the official end of our service. I'm not coming back up here, so you leave as you're ready to go. But I'm asking you today to really to worship and to focus and to say, God, how am I doing in my rhythm? Where am I out of balance? Where am I out of rhythm? God, help me to figure out what it looks like to grab on these lifelines, what that means in my life. You guys have a great week. You respond as the Lord leads. We'll see you soon.